All right, we are back, and I want to talk about uh, some science topics and things that have happened this past year, but I think uh, we're going to have to go to our good pal, Mr. Will Durst, for a few words about our national shouting match over guns. Hey, guys. Will Durst here to say that it's only human nature to want to take action after a traumatic event to do something to make sure that Newtown never, ever happens again, here, there, anywhere. Meanwhile, opposite sides of the gun issue, (laughs) the gun issue, are worried that their rights might get trampled in this wave of emotion. So they drown each other out with battalions of bullhorns, and it doesn't matter that they can't hear each other because they're not listening anyway. And so here we go again. Guns, guns, guns. The NRA is busy pumping out press releases saying that if the teachers had been armed, this tragedy could have been averted. But what about the kids? Don't they have the right to defend themselves? Or is middle school where we draw the line? Fourth grade? The left typically blames the proliferation of guns. But as we all know, guns don't kill people. It's those darn bullets that create the holes that the blood leaks out of way too quick. Liberals are also once again questioning whether military-type assault weapons should have a place in today's society. To which the right counters that semi-automatic rifles aren't assault weapons, and the left obviously has no experience with guns or they wouldn't mislabel them. Totally missing the point. Doesn't matter what you call them. Semi-automatic rifles, magic wands, caramelized pump-action fruit rolls. Stick a feather in their muzzle and call them macaroni. The only reason to own a macaroni that can fire hundreds of rounds of bullets in mere seconds is to kill people. Yes, of course, they can be used as legitimate hunting rifles. You can also use a flamethrower to light a cigarette. If you think about it, a hand grenade will signal the end of recess. Need to cut some butter? Bring a chainsaw. Just going to get a little messy around muffin time is all I'm saying. And right now, it's muffin time. For Radio Parallax, I'm Will Durst. But don't you know that happiness is a warm gun, mama? Yes, we live in a country where so-called responsible members of a lobbying group are actually, with a straight face advocating that the solution to our gun violence is to place armed guards at all of the schools in the nation. I googled the number of public schools in the country and it came out at 98,000. I'm guessing when we throw in the private schools, the number will be up more like 120, 130,000. And you have to ask yourself, how good an idea is it to put actual armed people on the campuses of all these schools because you're going to need at least apparently 120,000 armed individuals. Are we going to have background checks on 120,000 people armed to uh, go into America's schools? And if so, who's going to do the checking? Because although the NRA is in favor of people having guns, they don't seem to be too wild about the idea of uh, doing background checks. But you know, maybe this can solve our homeless problem. We'll give guns to the homeless Give them a job. Have them stake out our public schools and private schools. Well, that sounds like a win-win, doesn't it? No, I, 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 I have to admit, I was dumbfounded by this proposal by Wayne LaPierre that, you know, the solution is, oh, of course, they're being beat up unfairly by the liberal media. And if we just can arm everybody, I guess we could arm the principals. I don't know. Maybe, maybe all the teachers should be armed. 
Speaking of that interesting letter at the Sacramento Bee, I think I'll quote from Marie Carter of Sutter Creek wrote the Bee to say the National Rifle Association should change its name to the National Handgun and Automatic Weapon Association. It works so hard to protect ownership of handguns and automatic weapons and also protects powerful and profitable gun manufacturers. When I think of a rifle, I think of the hunting rifle my late no-no, a tough Swiss Italian farmer owned. He used his rifle to kill coyotes that threatened the livestock. He occasionally used his rifle to hunt deer and then made venison jerky. He never used his rifle on people. When I first heard this story about the shooting in Connecticut, I just assumed that the killer had probably used an assault rifle. Turned out he had. I haven't examined this very carefully, but the reports say that all all of the people that were shot were shot multiple times, and he killed 26 people. So how big a clip was he using? Why do we keep skirting the fact that assault rifles are designed to do one thing, kill large numbers of people in a short period of time? And how about this item from the the end of the year quiz from the Week magazine? True or false? There are more than three times as many federally licensed gun dealers in the U.S. as there are grocery stores. And the answer is true. There are 129,817 gun dealers, yet just 36,569 grocery stores, which is about one-third the number of schools. So I guess it'd be pretty easy to have armed guards at all of America's grocery stores while we're talking about it. And uh, looking back somewhat at random here, I, I have in front of me the arts and culture section of the Sacramento News and Review, which I must confess did give me a big laugh a couple days ago. The reason being, the piece by Jonathan Kiefer and Jim Lane took a look at the good, (laughs) the bad, and the ugh. In the area of the cinema, to quote from the piece, and at the crummy end of the stick, a couple of worsts. The Raven, narrowly edging out Abraham Lincoln, vampire hunter in the horror Americana category, by virtue of a thoroughly illiterate script by actor Ben Livingston and one Hannah Shakespeare. Definitely no relation. The reason this is funny to us, well, we've had Hannah on the show before. More than once, I believe. She's one of several people we know down in La La Land trying to churn out scripts. The only one we know who's getting them uh, regularly made, apparently. And uh, I expect we'll cross paths at some point in the future, maybe bring Hannah back on the show. She is an interesting person. But I know from uh, conversations with her in the past about what sort of thing you have to write uh, to be successful in Hollywood, well, therein hangs a tale. Since we're quoting from the News and Review, I do want to refer to our good pal Cosmo Garvin's piece titled, What's Up, Grinches? Referring to some people locally who have been, well, not so nice of late. Heading the list, three unwise men, Gavin, Joe, and George Maloof. And we refuse to delve into that idiot controversy any further, at least for the time being. What cracked me up about Cosmo's piece was uh, his taking Marcos Breton of the Sacramento Bee to task. In this case, for his pieces on the homeless. Said Cosmo, in column after column, he's equated being homeless with being a criminal. He's even warned that if the homeless menace isn't soon eradicated from the American River Parkway, then it's only a matter of time before homeless campers start abducting children. Well, Cosmo's been a very good uh, good pal to this program for the, some of the great writing he's done over the News and Review, which we have quoted from liberally. On the other hand, Marcos Bertone's never even returned our calls or emails. But I have to note with some sadness that on this issue, I have to side with Mr. Breton. 
Sacramento's been turned into a giant magnet for bums, derelicts, and under that general term of the homeless. And I think that what he's saying, although offensive to some people, is pretty much telling it like it is. I did the disclaimer, right? Yes, you did. Okay. Yeah, I know. The term bums is really considered horrible. But I don't think you'll object to it uh, so much if you hung around with as many of them as I have. We're definitely on board with Cosmo and his piece about uh, the Satans of Sprawl. In fact, we've talked about it on this program. He noted that Sprawl is back in a big way thanks to Sacramento's lords and ladies of growth in suburban enclaves like Folsom Elk Grove and, of course, the Sacramento County Board of Supervisors. As we noted in this program, Elk Grove is insisting that it needs to break south of the county's longstanding urban growth boundary and build a new slew of retail office buildings in order to fix its, quote, job housing imbalance. Never mind that the area it now wants to develop is out past a giant husk of a shopping mall that died mid-construction because there's no need for any more development in Elk Grove. The city of Folsom, meanwhile, just leapfrogged its boundaries to take in a vast swath of oak-studded hills south of Highway 50, while at the same time throwing out rules that used to require developers to provide housing for low-income folks in its market-rate projects. The Sacramento Board of Supervisors is still, as I wrote earlier this year, said Cosmo, seriously considering a controversial 2,700-acre Cordova Hills project near Rancho Cordova in an area previously considered off-limits for development. He asks, do we need this far-flung development out in the pastures of the South and East County when we've got thousands of acres of developable land inside designated growth areas and next to enlisting infrastructure? Nope. But in the development game, greed beats need every time. That's a good line, and we're going to need to follow that story in the coming year. And I'm pretty sure Cosmo will be back on, even if we don't see eye-to-eye on this homeless thing. But isn't that the beauty of freedom of speech? The ability to put forth different ideas in a public forum? We think so. In fact, speaking of the news and review, let me do a quote or two from an excellent little, little piece of writing by Rachel LeBrock about this recent school tragedy. Noted Rachel as this latest in the string of mass shootings, uh, launched a conversation on the topic of gun rights and mental health. The same conversation sparked earlier this year by similar shootings at a mall in Oregon, a Sikh temple in Wisconsin, and a movie theater in Colorado. The same conversation brought out by the January 8, 2011 shooting in Tucson that left six people dead. The shootings happen, and we talk, and we scrutinize, and we debate, and then we move on. Maybe this time it will be different. Certainly this one seemed to shock us even more. Twenty children gunned down? The shooter, 20-year-old Adam Lonza, was remembered as smart but socially isolated. His mother, the first victim, was remembered as a gun enthusiast who legally owned the weapons, including a semi-automatic rifle that Adam used to carry out the shootings. Maybe this time it will be different. Yet, even as details of the shooting emerged, some tried to retreat, including Jim Carney, the White House press secretary, who declared, now is not the time to talk about gun control. Asked Rachel, if not now, when? Addressing the nation just hours after the killings, however, President Obama signaled, it is time. She added on the last Sunday, Dianne Feinstein announced plans to reintroduce legislation to ban assault weapons, which uh, my understanding is became legal all over the country in the wake of Congress letting the ban expire. And some other controversies we should look at. Of course, people are talking about how we deal with mental health problems in relation to gun ownership. But the issue about what to do with mental health problems is complicated by the fact that uh, psychiatrists can't seem to agree on what constitutes mental health problems. 
in a rather nasty editorial in New Scientist a couple weeks back, noting that if doctors sent people with angina home with nothing but a prescription for a painkiller to control chest pain, they would be sued for malpractice. Sadly, that's a fitting analogy for what happens all too often to people with personality disorders. They note that the system for classifying these conditions in the APA's Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders is so confusing that many patients receive multiple diagnoses while others receive none at all. Noted the magazine, this is why the APA's failure to agree to a new system of diagnosing personality disorders for the next edition of its handbook, that would be the DSM-5, is tragic. This was described by Jonathan Shelder of the University of Colorado as a horrible, wasted opportunity. Since the psychiatrists could not agree about any revisions, they're going to leave in place uh, the current system from the manual, which dates to 1994. It's described as seriously flawed. It features a bewildering set of symptoms and checklists that attempts to match patients to one of 10 disorders. And speaking of struggling to get it right and sometimes getting it wrong, the new movie, Zero Dark Thirty, suggests that the CAA's harsh interrogation techniques led the U.S. to Osama bin Laden. Senator John McCain watched the movie uh, last week and said it left him sick because it's wrong. John McCain spent five and a half years enduring brutal treatment by his North Vietnamese captors during the Vietnam War. He has insisted that the waterboarding of al-Qaeda's number three leader, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, did not provide information that led to bin Laden's compound in Pakistan. No less than Senator Dianne Feinstein, just mentioned chairwoman of the Senate Intelligence Committee, has backed up McCain's assessments that that the waterboarding of Mohammed did not produce the tip that led to bin Laden. McCain has opposed waterboarding and said, I do not believe they're necessary, these techniques, to our success in our war against terrorists, not as the advocates of these techniques claim they are. This is disturbing stuff. I have a meaning to report about uh, my trip to Vietnam last month where I did see John McCain's flight suit to being the, uh, the star alumnus of the Hanoi Hilton. We must defer that discussion probably till next week's show when I tell more about those uh, interesting travels in Southeast Asia. I keep teasing you with uh, references about looking back at science. Let's do at least a few items. We'll refer to the Year in Science Discover magazine, their 100 top stories of 2012, which... Uh, Frankly, I think in some instances are pretty lame. Starting with the fact that their number one choice for science stories of last year was the alleged discovery of the Higgs boson. The quote from the magazine, On July 4th, 2012, scientists officially announced the discovery of a particle that looks very much like the Higgs, saying the odds of a false signal were less than one in three million. Being good physicists, though, they are not ruling out the possibility that it is an even more exotic particle. Adding... In particle physics, that's as close as you can get to a sure thing. (laughs) I have to add, later down in the article, it says, referring to the standard model, which supposedly is getting close to complete, as successful as the standard model has been, it is clearly incomplete, as it does not explain the perplexing phenomenon of dark energy, which is accelerating the expansion of the universe, nor does it account for dark matter, the invisible material that outweighs visible galaxies five to one. So evidently, this is a smashing success in possibly getting a better explanation for the 4% of the universe that we seem to understand. Well, that's pretty much wrapping things up, wouldn't you say? Now, we're a lot more impressed with the number two story that was in Discover, which was the landing of a robo-geologist on Mars. 
Of course, we're still waiting for the Curiosity rover to do the really cool science. It's uh, it's driving around, uh, attempting to get done. This is going to be a big story in 2013, but actually, I'm not sure that it should be the number two story for 2012 either. It's very cool that we got it there, but I think that the uh, really interesting stuff is still yet to come. So we probably elevate their number three story to perhaps uh, being the top story of the year. That we've devoted several programs to this in the last couple years, which is the fact that we're finally deciphering what's going on with the hundred trillion bacteria, viruses, and other microbes, collectively known as the human microbiome, which live on and inside us. And by the way, one of the best parts about covering this story is this piece of music Mr. McMillan uncovered. Bacteria. Bacteria. Look, there's bacteria. 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 You might not see them, but they're there. Bacteria. You know, songwriters, we have quite enough out there about broken hearts and love, and not nearly enough songs about microbiology. But we have to watch out for bacteria that can spoil our chicken. Bacteria. Now, these are some pretty earth-shaking developments, and they're going to affect medicine in the future, and we're going to continue to talk about that in 2013. I don't know. People always love having like a top 100 list of this or that, top 10, top 100, top 50, top 40. And although we may not agree with um, the order, we do think items 14 and 16 were pretty interesting. Discover thought that uh, the number 14 item for the list was the finding of alien planets around stars, and in particular the nearest star, Alpha Centauri. We have to agree. That and the recent discovery of a star system around Tau Ceti is pretty cool stuff, and there's absolutely no doubt that in the year to come there's going to be some earth-shaking news on this front. Oh, by the way, the number 39 item in Discover was that firestorm over the DSM-5. Naturally, we agree, but the number 45 story, Felix Baumgartner jumping out of, out of a balloon, why is that one of the top science stories? I'm thumbing through the magazine right now, trying to find out whether the retraction of NASA's uh, breathless uh, announcement that uh, organisms in Mono Lake could use arsenic instead of phosphate, which had to be... Tossed out this year made the list. I'm not sure. But anyway, number 16 item was, should sugar be regulated like a drug? We talked about sugar in the last two programs, and we'll talk more about that in the year to come. Along with item number 20, about how gastric bypass surgery appears to be a miracle cure for diabetes. Fascinating. Their number 37 story, Saturn's moon having a hidden ocean that being the moon Titan. Well, it's got a hidden ocean, it's got rain, it's got, uh, it's got lakes, it's got rivers. That's going to be cool stuff. Oh, I just found it. Item number 41 was the, quote, alien arsenic life thing being discredited. But you know, that's how it is in science. Two steps forward, one step back. I just wish that the publicity department down at NASA hadn't gotten a little carried away with that one. And they drew worldwide attention two years ago when they said that uh, there was this, this study that was going to have impact on extraterrestrial life, which kind of mirrors the knucklehead working on the Curiosity rover saying it was going to be earth-shaking science coming out of this, to which he had to add, well, well, yeah, yeah, in the future. Anyway, we're looking forward to talking with Pamela, probably on next week's program, about more about the science of the past year. We need to take a break in a minute, but I guess uh, we'll close off with, uh, again, from Discover Magazine, their last page had 20 Things You Didn't Know About Inner Earth by Rebecca Kofi. Number 10 was that bacteria have been discovered in the cavities and cracks of gold mines 2.4 miles down beneath the Earth's surface, which live on hydrogen and sulfates. Their primary source of energy is radiation, not the sun. 
And of course, uh, uh, just last week, there was uh, a correlation of bacteria being found deep in the Earth's crust in South Africa with bacteria found deep in the Earth's crust here in California. There's more going on down there than we know about. To the next item on that 20 things you didn't know piece was that microbiologist James Holden, University of Massachusetts, speculates that our planet's deep biomass could weigh as much as all the things living up here on the surface. Wow. Let's take a short break. I'm Douglas Everett. You're listening to Radio Parallax. Radio Parallax. 